0: All right, very good. What a beautiful... Easter Sunday, huh? To celebrate the Lord's resurrection and we are truly blessed to have you with us this morning. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember that a year ago on Easter that I was the only one in here and I was talking to a camera. So last Easter Sunday was a virtual service and so I'm thankful that you guys are here. It's, It's a lot better with you here. I promise you that. Uh, This morning, we're starting a brand new series called Running With Good News. And our focus here in the month of April is the biblical church purpose of evangelism. Uh, Jesus built his church with five purposes, worship, evangelism, fellowship, discipleship, and ministry. And every month, we focus on one of these purposes. And so this month, we're focusing on evangelism. As we get started in the series, Uh, I want you to go today to Matthew chapter 28, where we're going to read our first passage in just a second, and I'm looking forward to getting into the Word of God with you this morning. Uh, Two weeks from today is Friend Day, and I'm praying that everybody will invite at least one friend to come and be your guest, Uh, we'll have donuts and coffee and juice Uh, in the lobby so you can greet your friends and hang out with them for a minute before church. And I'm thankful for the hearts of our young people here at Centennial. Wednesday night during youth group, they came in to pray over the Friend Day commitments uh, that are already up. And if you would like to add a card today, somebody that you're going to invite, we have a table right down here with blank friend cards and Sharpies, and you can write your friend's name on the back of the blank card and hang it on one of the places here on the walls. And then make sure as you go out uh, to grab a friend card uh, from Connection Point, because those cards out there have the information for the special day on the back. They're not blank cards. So get them on your way up. Uh, Also, if you haven't had a chance yet, make sure you sign up for the Next Step Classes that are being offered next Sunday at 4 o'clock. And if you've never taken one of these classes, you start with class 101, which introduces you to Centennial, who we are, what we believe, why we believe in. And then we're also offering class 201 next Sunday for those who've already taken 101. A 201 is a class on Christian maturity. And we provide a dinner, a child care for the classes. All you have to do is let us know you're coming And so you can sign up electronically on your device, even right now at servechurch.org or at one of the kiosks in the lobby. And we do need a small group to help us with the meal for next week. So if you could do that, if you're a small group that'd be willing to help see my wife, and I sure do appreciate it. All right, hopefully you've made it to Matthew 28, and let's read there. In the end of the Sabbath... As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. And did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. I want you to think of this for a minute. Darkness had fallen over all their hearts. The friends of Jesus had been scattered. Hope seemed lost. But heaven just started counting to three. And uh, there was a resurrection day coming. Can you imagine being one of the ladies uh, who headed to the garden tomb early that morning and came upon this amazing spectacle of an angel sitting on top of the large stone that normally blocked the door. And he is not here, is what the angel said, for he is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And then he said, go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And as they ran from the empty tomb to share this important news, they ran, it says, holding a mixture of fear and great joy. Now, have you ever had a mixture of fear and great joy? That's quite a mixture, isn't it? Fear and great joy. That's the way uh, that the biggest thrills in life usually come, with a a heavy dose of fear and a small dose of joy that turns bigger. And most of the time, you have to go through the fear to get to the joy. Back when our son Cody was a, a senior in high school, uh, I was the van driver for the senior trip that his class took to Southern California, uh, back in the old days when amusement parks were still open. And I, on one of the days, uh, they went to Six Flags, which is known for its thrill rides. And they had this kid in their class that didn't want to ride any of the rides, uh, he was deathly afraid of roller coasters. right, how many of you would admit that you're afraid of roller coasters? A couple people, okay. And especially he was afraid of the roller coasters that went upside down, right? He thought he was going to fall out. And so he had been walking around Six Flags all day, bored. Every time you saw him, he's just sitting on a bench eating, like, amusement park food. Well, Cody told him, hey, there's a ride that you'll like. It's not a roller coaster. Uh, It doesn't go upside down and just come ride with us. It'll be fun. Well, that much too trusting young man went into the line with them, uh, because the line was in a tunnel, and you couldn't see the ride. Right? You went through this tunnel on the line, and you got on the ride, and uh, I happened to go on the ride with them that day, so I know the story, and I, I don't remember the name of the ride. It might have been Superman or something like that, but what it does It takes you over 400 feet in the air, and then it drops you straight down at 85 miles an hour, and your body actually floats in the air for just a moment with all the G-forces involved. And I'll never forget seeing that poor guy's face on the way up. As he started to realize what he had signed up for, he was all strapped in. (laughs) He couldn't get out of it. And on the way up, before he figured out what was going on, his face was filled with fear. And he was just as scared as anybody could ever be, white as a ghost. Well, we get up to the top, and it hesitates for just a moment. And you can feel, you know, as your stomach shifts, and then straight down. And they take a photo of you, right? Right. As you drop, they take this automatic picture of you that you can go look at afterward. And when we got out and looked at the picture afterward, he had this great big smile that was sort of like a fearful smile, like, I don't really think I should be doing this right now, but that was really fun. And, uh, and then when they came out and looked at it, his smile was temporary, <laughs> okay, okay? He could not believe that he got tricked into doing something thrilling. And he didn't ride another ride the whole day. He was out. And so I read about this in science, and it's called a a frisson, F-R-I-S-S-O-N. And scientists tell us it is the place between thrill and fear. The place between thrill and fear. It is an almost pleasurable sensation of fright right? It's like those teenagers who like to go to haunted houses, right? They like people to scare them. How many of you like people to scare you? Could we just say you're strange, right? Could we say that on this Easter Sunday? You like people to scare you, right? You like this to happen. And man, you may remember this feeling from asking that girl out on a date. For the first time. Or maybe when you asked her to marry you. Or could have been your actual wedding day. Yeah, I heard about a farmer that goes to church here. They had to actually come and get him off the tractor to take him to his wedding. I don't think it had anything to do with fear. I think it was logistics. But uh, remember those butterflies, those, those jitters, whatever you want to call them, the day you went in to take a big test to see if you would get a college offer. Your first day at a new job. And filling out the paperwork to make an offer on your first house, back when houses could actually be bought, right? Now your first house, $359,000 for this closet. <laughs> um, and ladies, I've been told that, that childbirth is a pain, pleasure experience like no other. Is that true? I, I've heard it's true. I've never experienced it from myself. Yeah. But uh, let's talk about this journey today from sorrow to joy. And the notes are in your bulletin if you want to follow along. They're also on the YouVersion app. And you kids have bulletins that are specially made for you. Let's talk first about sharing the gloom. Sharing the gloom you know, it wasn't supposed to end like this. They had thought that Jesus would usher in a kingdom that would defeat the Roman government. They had counted on so many things. And now, it looked like death had won. And it looked like Satan was going to get the victory. And grief was hanging over their hearts like a cloud. They'd lost all hope. They thought he was the son of God. But early that Sunday morning before dawn, they, they for, forgot about those things for just a moment, kind of pushed them aside, and fought through their pain to bring sweet spices that would anoint the body of their friend, their teacher, their healer, now taken from them. And I think we all understand some of the gloom that they faced, the, the pain that they experienced. Uh, The frustration that they share. There are people here this morning, if you're being honest, joy is the furthest thing from your mind. Easter is just another day of misery for you. But yeah, you might eat some Easter dinner later, scatter some candy out for your kids, but you're disappointed with your life. You're not happy. You might even be disappointed with God. After all, he could have given you that job you wanted or repaired that relationship for you or kept you from getting sick or protected your loved one better. You could be a teenager with feelings of complete despair. Your parents don't understand. You think that maybe God actually just put you in the wrong family, right? (laughs) Some of you, when you were teens, you thought the same thing. Everything is frustrating for you, and you're not sure if God even exists. Maybe your friends tell you that he's for sure not for real, that whatever. You just feel like there's nothing worth living for. And You could be a category all through yourself. You'd be single or married or divorced or living on, under all sorts of circumstances. Somehow you have this cloud of despair hanging over your heart, just like they did on that Sunday morning. And it's interesting that these ladies were courageous enough to walk to the tomb in the midst of their pain, because the men, the disciples of Jesus, were hiding out in houses so that the enemies of Jesus wouldn't find them and execute them too. So there's fear and anxiety, so many unknowns, so much disappointment. And if you're not there right now, you've probably been there. Well, that's just verse 1. Aren't you glad that's not the end of the story? All right, if verse 1 was the end of the story, we'd all be in big trouble. And I hope despair won't be the end of your story either. Let's see this next part. They were shocked by the scene. Shocked by the scene. Now, Mark 16, which is one of the parallel passages, uh, indicates that, they were, that these ladies, as they're walking, they're concerned that they won't be able to anoint the body of Jesus because the stone was much too large for them to roll away from the door, and they had no idea what was coming. They were in for the surprise of a lifetime, and we know what they were about to experience. But in that moment, how could they possibly know? Have you ever had somebody work hard to plan a really good surprise for you? All right, it's, it's pretty neat when it actually gets pulled off, right? How many of you, somebody planned a surprise party for you and you figured it out, right? You figured it out. How many of you, somebody planned a surprise party for you and it went off, you didn't figure it out you got surprised? Okay. How many of you have never had a party in your life? Okay. Uh, My wife pulled off a really good surprise for me when I turned 40. And I was shocked out of my mind. Uh, When she turned 30, Now this is just like three years ago, right? When when she turned 30, uh, we lived in Meridian, and we had a a house off of Locust Grove there, and we went to church in the evening, and I had set up this surprise party, and these friends of ours went into our house and got all the food, had everything ready. They had people park on the streets behind us, and there were over a 100 people in our house when we got home from church. Uh, so I had, I had to delay. Like, after church, we went and got an ice cream, and, and then, you know, the whole way I'm thinking, she's going to find out, she's going to figure it out. And so we pull up to our house, everything's dark, garage door goes up, she walks in the door first, and there are people everywhere in the house, like you could barely even walk through, and they yell surprise, and the whole house thunders, and it was awesome, it was pretty cool, I got to admit. And if you've worked hard to surprise somebody else, that can be a fun time. Uh, but But I can assure you this, nobody... I mean, nobody can plan surprises better than God. Right? And Amy and I can certainly verify that to be true. That nobody can plan surprises better than God. You now, we talked earlier about some folks being in despair when it comes to Jesus. And I, I want you to think about the fact that there are people who are confused or surprised. By all things Jesus, because they're just kind of living in their own world. They're just going day by day. They're just going from uh, job to weekend and back to job. And they're just trying to keep the lawn going and trying to keep the kids going and trying to keep this going and trying to keep the car running. And there are people who are confused about the truth of the Savior. It could be they don't even know they're confused. Right? Have you ever met some people who you think, man, seems like they could be confused, but they don't know they're confused, <laughs> right? Hopefully they don't live at your house. That can get really awkward. But, but you know, they'd be surprised to know that the Bible calls them sinners. Remember that verse he held up? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And our culture has told everybody that they're just really, really good people, right? They're not sinners. They're just just mistakers, right? But we're not mistakers. We're sinners, and we need a Savior. And, And maybe it's hard for them to connect with God, having a purpose for their lives, because curriculum and education and pop culture have been telling them their whole lives that they're random products of chance. Maybe they're surprised to hear that God truly loves them because they haven't ever found real love anywhere else. Maybe they're surprised to find out that religion can't get you to heaven. Religion can't bridge the gap between sin and God. They've been ultra-committed to church, but They're still unhappy, and they've been working and working to gain eternal life, and they're shocked to hear that it's only by grace we're saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so some people are in a condition of despair. Others are in a condition of confusion. And I'm sure the ladies walking up to the tomb experienced some confusion too. First, as they're walking up to the tomb, there's a great earthquake. By the way, this past week was the one-year anniversary of the major Idaho earthquake of 2020. You guys remember that? You remember where you were when that earthquake went off? Oh, my goodness. This is such a scary thing. And so they're walking along. This is a great earthquake. This angel passes down... From heaven and that causes an earthquake. His face looked like lightning, it says. Pretty bright guy. Sorry, dad joke. uh, The brave soldiers keeping the tomb fainted like dead men the moment they saw him. And so the angel's first words to the women who walked up fear not, don't be afraid. I know why you're here. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified, right? Yeah, he's not here. He is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. So let's talk about seeing an empty tomb. Let's talk about this third part. Seeing an empty tomb. Imagine how difficult it must have been to comprehend what was really happening. The best news ever was initially both frightening and overwhelming. But the angel invited them to look at the place where the body of Jesus no longer lay. In the account in John's gospel, uh, Mary Magdalene is the one who notices first that the stone's been moved. And so she takes off running. She runs to Peter and John, who are hidden in the house, and tells them, hey, they took the body of Jesus out of the tomb, and we don't know where they took him. And so Peter and John is, really? They took his body? I can't believe they took his body. You know, those government people, those pilot people, those priests, how would they just So they take off running, and uh, Peter and John are, you know, hiking up their robes and running down through the village streets. And John is faster than old Peter. He gets to the tomb first, but he doesn't go in. Uh, He's treating the tomb with reverence. And so he's just kind of catching his breath and bending over, and he sees the linen grave clothes that used to wrap around the body of Jesus. And then he feels Peter push past him to enter the tomb. And sure enough, the grave clothes are lying there empty, And the napkin that was covering the head is neatly folded in a place by itself. Almost like Jesus defeated death leisurely. Almost like there was a big picture plan going on. The body hadn't been snatched. He folded the napkin. (laughs) It's completely purposeful that this has happened. Jesus has risen. But Peter's shouting all this out to John, who's still standing outside the grave. And finally, General John comes in. And I, and I love what it says next. This is so powerful. It's in John. It says, he saw and believed. He saw and believed. He saw an empty tomb and believed. He hadn't seen Jesus yet. He hadn't seen the print of the nails in his hands and feet yet. He saw the empty tomb and believed. This is life-changing. Actually, it's eternally life-changing. Romans 10 explains it this way, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you believe, like John did, that Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. Despair, gone. Confusion, gone. Because he lives, we live also. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that makes believers the sons and daughters of God. And so if you're in the despair category... If you're in the confused category right now, this moment in the middle of the sermon on Easter Sunday, you can bow your heart before Jesus and confess that you believe in him, that you believe he is the only hope of eternal life, that you believe he defeated death by his resurrection, and you can become a child of God right now. You don't need any music. You don't have to walk forward or walk back to the lobby. You don't even have to bow your head and close your eyes. Jesus has been waiting for this moment with you since before you were born. And you can call upon him right there in your seat. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Say, but pastor, what do I say? I don't know what to say. You know, there are no magic words. You tell him right now that you believe he's the Son of God who died in your place and rose again. Tell him that you're turning from your way of despair and confusion to his way of hope and life. Go ahead. Tell him right now. If that's a decision you want to make, I'll give you a second. Go ahead and tell him that right now in your heart. John believed. Peter believed. The women who came and saw the empty tomb believed. I believe. Do you believe? I want you to go again to Matthew 28. Let's look now at verse number 8. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, all hail. The Greek words there mean, oh joy. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Let's see this fourth part, sent with a message. Sent with the message. And this is such a powerful picture because Jesus met them at their moment of fearful, joyful faith, just like he'll meet you when your heart bows to acknowledge him as the risen Savior. And just a second ago, if you told Jesus that you believe in him, if you told him you're tired of trying to do it all your own way, you want him to be your hope, he will meet you right where you're at, just as you are. You know, there are some people who have to think that you have to change your life before you can become a Christian. right? You have to change your habits and your desires and then you get eternal life. That doesn't work. That can't work. Hey, you can't change your own life from death to life. Only Jesus can do that. You don't have the power to change yourself. Only Jesus has that power. And he meets you right where you are with all the bumps and bruises, all the scars, all the questions, all the skeptical thoughts, all the, if Jesus had done this, and if my loved one had been this, and if we had done this, Jesus meets you right where you are. And I'm telling you, that meeting puts everything in perspective. You see what the ladies did? I love this. They met Jesus, and Jesus said, all hail, oh joy. They came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. I was thinking about this. Nobody can truly or fully worship God until after they've received the news of the resurrection. See, worship is the first response of the new creature in Christ. Right? The, the new creature in Christ loves what Jesus has done for him or her. That's where real worship happens. Real worship isn't just attending an Easter service. Real worship is having Jesus change your heart. And worship is the first response. you know there's a second response? Look at verse 10. Look what he told them. Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren. Be not afraid. Go and tell. Jesus gave them news to carry to others. And really, that's church history in a nutshell. People with hearts of worship changed and empowered by Jesus going to tell other people about the resurrection of Jesus. That is the entire rest of the New Testament. People whose hearts Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, has changed going to tell other people about Jesus. And it's a, it's a tough thing sometimes because you know some of the early Christians who went to tell others they were killed. They were martyred for their faith. And we don't hear much about it because we live in a pretty cushioned world, but there are still people today in parts of the world who are martyred for their faith. They're killed for being a believer in Jesus. Or they're disowned by their family or they're cast out from the family income because they believe in Jesus. And there is a price that is paid with the belief of the resurrection. And that's what the faith challenge is all about because our hearts are at different places concerning the resurrection. And as we think about that today, I just want to ask you, where's your heart? What kind of heart did you walk in today? into this place with, a heart in despair, maybe disillusioned, hardened, like nothing bothers you anymore. And I'm telling you, we live in a world where that can happen, because the news every day is another this and another that and another disaster and another shooting. And uh, it, it can harden us to the point where we think, you know what? Nothing surprises me anymore. And we live in a world where sin is running rampant. Jeremiah said that there was a people who could no longer blush. That kind of describes our world today, doesn't it? Maybe your heart has been neglecting the need for Jesus. Maybe your heart is telling you to wait to make a decision for Christ. Maybe your heart has confessed Jesus as Lord, and you're an authentic worshiper of the risen Christ. And if that's true, the next step's clear. Go and tell. Go and tell. see, the men and women who saw the risen Savior in person gave the rest of their lives to go and tell, and nothing and nobody could stop them from talking about what they had seen and heard. Kings couldn't shut them up. Laws couldn't hold them back. Torture couldn't slow them down. Even martyrdom only made their voices more powerful. And the gospel of Jesus, based on the miracle of the resurrection, turned the world upside down. By the way, the resurrection is still turning the world upside down. One life at a time. I read... Mainstream poll this week that said that 70% of people in the United States, 70% of people in the United States believe that Jesus rose from the tomb. Now, how many of you believe that 70% of the people really believe that? Right? That's crazy. Now, if 70% of our culture really believed in a risen Savior, do you think Things might be a little different around this, you know, these parts. But I wonder if those of us who do believe haven't really done one thing to make a change in the life of anybody else. I wonder if we've never gone and told even one other person that we love Jesus and that he rose from the grave after dying for our sins. The power of resurrection is unstoppable. And if you've started to feel like the culture's winning and the enemy is too strong and the church is withering and Christianity is fading away, it is time for you to take a new look at the power of the resurrection. Because he lives, we live also. Nothing can alter God's gift of eternal life in you. You remember John, the guy who believed, standing in the empty tomb? Well, over 60 years later, John wrote down a vision that he was given by the Spirit of God, a vision in which he saw the resurrected Christ as the returning Christ. The resurrection is more than just a big event from 2,000 years ago. The resurrection is the certain hope that Jesus is coming again. And those who truly worship God are looking forward to it, right? Those who really have a hard heart toward God, they may call themselves Christians, but they don't even think about Jesus coming back. They're living for now, for the next this and the next that and the next this. The resurrection, it's more than just this historic event. It is the certain hope of believers everywhere. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And no matter who you are, that includes your knee and your tongue. You will either bow and confess in worship, or you will bow and confess in judgment. It's your choice. And every knee will bow. And when I say every, I mean every Confucius will bow. The Dalai Lama will bow. Uh, the, The Muhammad will bow, right? The Pope will bow. Every single one of them will bow. Every person who has ever lived on planet Earth will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is God. I want you to think right now of the worst person on the planet that you've ever known or heard of. That person will bow. Think of the most powerful person you know who never seems to get called for whatever they do. That person will bow, right? And it doesn't matter what district of California they're from. I'm just messing with you. Look, every single knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But it's either going to be in worship or judgment. And Jesus has already paid for your sins on the cross, There's no reason for you to die without hope. There's no reason for you to spend all eternity without God. So it comes down to this. Have you confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Because if you have, God's word says you're saved. But listen, saved isn't just a word. It's a life change. It's an eternal life change. And if you have the resurrected Savior living inside of you, there should be some worship going on around you. There should be some go and tell going on around you. And so God has given us this powerful running with good news. And we'll talk about that in these coming weeks. But today as we close in prayer, I want you to go inside of your own heart And let's ask God to work through what we've heard today. Father, as we bow together in this closing prayer, you're the only one who knows the hearts of every person in this room. We couldn't possibly know what's going on in these lives. God, there are people here who truly are in despair. There there are people who are so discouraged. They're, They're in sorrow. They're afflicted. They're questioning, they're confused. There may be people in this room who've considered taking their own lives, who've considered doing harm to themselves. There may be people in this room who have secrets that they've never told anybody about. We're all coming from a different place, but we have one thing in common. We are sinners in need of a risen Savior. And so we thank you for being that risen Savior. And I pray that any heart that would be willing would right now confess that Jesus is the Son of God who has risen for us, and help us now to go and tell others what you've done and how great you are. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.